Sure. It's Friday, the 23rd of August, 2019, and welcome to the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping optimize tax for small businesses, individuals with overseas investments, and other professionals. This week, I'm joined by Max Rashbrook, academic, journalist, and author of two books, Inequality, A New Zealand Crisis, and Government for the Public Good, The Surprising Science of Large-Scale Collective Action. Kia ora, Max. Welcome to the podcast. Kia ora, Terry. Very pleased to be joining you. Excellent. Now, um, I was intrigued that you and tax expert Lisa Marriott uh, recently have been, in fact, you're still in the middle of it, um, doing a roadshows or uh, talking about options for tackling wealth and inequality um, in its wealth, well-being and capital gains tax. And I guess this is your reaction to yeah, the the decision of the government in uh, to not proceed with the capital gains tax uh, after the cap, the tax working group recommended that. What's your just begin with? What's your reaction to the tax working group's report? Well, I, I think we've learned a couple of things from the tax working group process, and the first is about what you do and don't need a working group for. Um, because I think if you've got a genuinely complex issue where the government doesn't know what it wants done and it wants a really deep look that is maybe beyond the present capacities of the civil service, then absolutely you set up a working group. That makes complete sense. If you know what you want um, and it's just a question of designing what you want, you don't need a working group. You just send the Treasury away uh, to work on it. Um, and I, th I think we really see that because, you know, and I've got huge respect for a lot of the people in the tax working group, what they went away and did is spend a very long time working just on, effectively on how do you design a capital gains tax? And then because the government, you know, was then unable to defend its own ideas for, you know, for over a year, uh, of course, you know, to lost the public argument uh, on the issue before before the working group had even reported. Um, and so, you know, we're left with no capital gains tax, although, as you say, reasons to think that might not have been the best solution anyway. And we haven't got the deep examination of the tax system that we would have got from a genuine working group. And, of course, ideally, uh, you know, we would have had a deep examination of the tax system and the welfare system together, you know, that being the holy grail of these things. So I think, I think we've learned a lot about uh, things that you don't ask a working group to do. Um, but I think we also have, you know, more optimistically maybe come to realise that, you know, the failure of the, the capital gains tax proposal has opened up the space to discuss, uh, to discuss other options uh, for the taxation of wealth and other things in New Zealand. And some of those other options may, in the long run, actually prove to be superior uh, to a capital gains tax. Mm. Were you surprised by the strength of the reaction to um, the process? As you said, the, the, the space was occupied. There was an awful lot of noise um, in opposition on this. And some of it was coming from people with huge vested interests. 
Um, but others, there were some genuine concerns about the impact for small businesses on the compliance issues around uh, capital gains tax. Did, but overall, did this sort of push the, 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 the noise and the pushback surprise you or was it, no, you, you thought that would happen? Well, I don't think, I mean, because I'm not a, a, a politician, I hadn't thought very hard in advance about what the reaction would be like. Um, so I can't say that I anticipated it as such, but I certainly don't think it's surprising um, you know, it, it is a reality of life that in New Zealand, uh, you know, proposals for new taxes are not generally that popular. Uh, there are lots of vested interests who will mobilise against them. And I think in particular, and this is something that's come up in, in my talks with Lisa Marriott, you know, we do have an economy that is very reliant on people selling assets uh, without paying capital gains tax. Um, you know, despite all the talk about diversification of the economy and doing value added, despite the fact that at least since the time of Bill Such in the 50s, people have been talking about the need to shift up the value chain. And despite our sort of image of ourselves as these incredibly innovative number eight fencing wire Kiwis, we actually don't do very well at overall at generating innovative high-value business ideas. We have an economy that's still hugely reliant on farming, and as is well canvassed, a lot of farmers aren't actually making a lot of income in the day-to-day. -day. Their business model relies on selling, you know, for massive untaxed capital gain when they want to retire. And we have very large numbers of people massively invested in property, um, in part because our share market is so badly regulated um, that a number of people are quite reasonably wary of it and they've been very burnt by our under-regulated finance companies. So there's just a very large number of people with, with a stake in capital gains not being taxed and that creates an enormous weight of opposition, uh, you know, against it. In, indeed. And, and this was presumably was the starting point for your discussions with Lisa and around well, what do we do? What are the alternatives? Um, what 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 are the alternatives then? What do, do what are the best, the alternative options we think about this? And and more to the point, and this is a question that's come up: is is why do we need a wealth tax? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, I mean, there's a set of basic reasons about why do we have tax at all? Um, you know, and I think that's because and this is a well-worn argument, but if you've done well in New Zealand, you know, that's partly down to your own individual ability and effort, of course, but, you know, it's also because you've relied on collectively provided infrastructure. You've drawn out of a common pool of resources like public health and education systems, you know, public roads, government um, infrastructure like telecommunications and infrastructure, ultra-fast broadband, all these kinds of things. And so you need to put you need to put back into that common pool of resources. You know we need to keep provide, having those collectively provided services. Um, we also need to compensate for the effects of luck. You know um, our success in life depends partly on whether we're lucky or unlucky in an affair society. The lucky compensate the unlucky. Um, and we also know from the evidence, and this is my my specialist field, 
that economic inequality has you know at a high level has very negative consequences um you know it leads to diminished trust and sort of greater division and dysfunction it leads to you know higher levels of health and social problems because a lot of people feel hopeless about their lives or societies become very punitive um and so it's very important to you know to redistribute um through the tax system to ensure that inequalities are only at the level that's fair and where they don't pose a a threat to the social fabric so there's all those reasons for taxing in general um and that applies with particular force to wealth taxation because although we tax income very thoroughly in New Zealand, I pay tax on it literally every cent of my income. Um, we don't tax wealth in any systematic way, really at all, certainly not at the national level. Um, you know, obviously rates are a tax on wealth to some extent, but we're a real international outlier. Um, and again, this is pretty well worn, you know, not having either one or more of the capital gains tax, inheritance taxes, some kind of land tax, or just a direct wealth tax. So it's, a, it's this huge gaping hole. Um, and I think, you know, if you're looking to fund the, you know, the health service and the education service in the way it needs, you could have a higher income tax rate, and there's certainly an argument for that. But um, as Andrea Black is always pointing out, uh, that just brings in a little bit more revenue from people who are already in the tax system. Uh, and the thing about a wealth tax is there are lots of people who are paying very little tax or none at all. They're not in the system at all. And the big gains are to be made by bringing those people into the system. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned Andrea Black, who was um, on the tax working group as well. Now, the tax working group didn't uh, did, did discuss these issues as part of its rationale around that. And the what, what was your view of the analysis they made in that area? Was there anything there that came out that surprised you from what they were saying? Or, no, I was expecting to see that. Well, their, their treatment of other options for taxing wealth was pretty cursory. Um, it was very, very brief and fairly dismissive. Now, I don't say that in criticism of the tax working group particularly because, you know, they weren't being set up to do a really thorough review of the options. They were pretty clearly, you know, set up to deliver a proposal for a wealth tax, uh, for a capital gains tax, you know, and that's, as I said, is, was a large part of the problem with that whole enterprise. Um, so I don't think that they really gave those other options, a land tax, a wealth tax, inheritance taxes. Well, inheritance taxes were explicitly ruled out, um, but they didn't give the other options you know, very thorough consideration. And in fact, I think even, you know, their description of the OECD view about those options was probably not even accurate. Um, so although I, I wasn't surprised, but I don't think they gave a particularly good account of the other options. So, yeah, so just on the question of why we should, there's something else that's happening as well, which the tax working group touched on, but not in great, great detail. And that is that the rising cost of New Zealand superannuation and the associated health costs for the aging population means that they were projecting by around 2030 that we'd be starting to run into um, deficits based on current settings. 
So that sort of good, that got drowned drowned out amongst all the noise and the backlash. But given that, it could do you see a wealth tax as being sufficient to to fill a two percentage point in GDP gap, or is else much more needed? Um, I think some of those cost pressures can be overstated. Um, I mean, Bill Rosenberg, who of course was on the tax working group, has done analysis that suggests that, you know, the sort of the alarming figures about how much New Zealand super is going to cost us don't take tax into account, in fact. And if you take into account that, you know, tax is paid on superannuation and tax is paid by the New Zealand super fund, um, even if we keep the retirement age where it is, you know, the long run cost of New Zealand super only goes from I think something like 4.9% to 6% of GDP, which is still an increase, but it's not a catastrophic one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the healthcare costs of, of uh, greater longevity certainly are significant. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you mentioned earlier that one of the things about inequality is rising social pressure, and that seems to feed through in lower health, um, you know, health, uh, lower health expectations. So, in other words, the pressure on the system builds for healthcare because people are in poorer health. Would that be your observation? Would I be right in saying that's your observation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, and we have a kind of crazily designed healthcare system where the way of treating health issues that's cheapest, i.e. going to see your GP up front before things get really severe, is very expensive. So there's a huge disincentive against that. And the, uh, the kind of healthcare that's much more expensive and much less efficient, going to A&E when things get really desperate, is free. So there's a huge incentive to use that kind. So, I mean, I think we could probably address at least a substantial amount of the cost pressures in health by designing a more intelligent system. Um, and, and just, you know, over time shifting much more to preventative healthcare, yeah, and reducing inequality. I mean, inequality, you know, very strong hierarchy, very large hierarchies, you know, it's very stressful, particularly for people at the bottom. It's very, you know, stigmatizing, very shameful, very stressful to be at the bottom of a really large hierarchy. And so inequality is directly, um, linked to high rates of stress-related conditions like heart disease. Um, and just generally, yeah, as you say, people struggling to afford the treatment they need. So absolutely, I mean, reducing inequality in itself would be a good thing. And yeah, look, I mean, a wealth tax, I mean, bearing in mind that the capital gains tax, it was hard to know exactly, but it was projected to bring in maybe $3 billion a year. A wealth tax, even at a pretty low rate, you know, 1% annually on wealth over a million dollars, back of an envelope calculation suggests that could bring in about $6 billion a year. Uh, now that's not, well, actually, and that probably is about 2% of GDP, isn't it? Because GDP is getting on for 300 billion a year, 1% is 3 billion. So yeah, it probably is in that, that order of magnitude. So it's getting down to so the nitty gritty. Um, in a, the wealth tax that you're thinking, that you think could be the step, you mentioned there a figure of a million dollars. Do you want to just outline how, what sort of 
is your outline thinking on this? How would you see a wealth tax applying and the levels and why that level and, and, and that in there, 1%, you're saying 1% on wealth. So what's the, what would be included in the wealth tax? This is the, the crunch question, I suppose, for people. Yeah, well, look, I mean, the rationale for it, because you can also have, there are wealth taxes like the one that the um, that top proposes, um, which are based on assuming that there's an income that you generate from wealth and that that's the important thing and that you should tax that. I take the view that, you know, wealth brings all sorts of benefits beyond just the income that you may or may not generate from it. Uh, you know, wealth gives you stability. You know, a lot of people, they also, wealth generates opportunities. Uh, a lot of people borrow against uh, the house that they own in order to start their business in New Zealand. Um, wealth gives you stability. It allows you to plan for the future. You know, it's something you know that you can liquidate if you need to ride out tough times. So I think wealth brings you benefits every second that you own it. Certainly, you know, every year that you own it. And so we should just tap, we should recognise the benefit people get from it and that they owe that benefit to those collectively provided resources I talked about earlier. And so we should tax it on an annual basis and just directly tax wealth. Um, so, I mean, I don't have a fixed view yet and I'm going to be spending a bit of time in future sort of exploring the options, but just one option would be an annual levy of 1% of the value of your net worth over a million dollars. And the reason that you would choose over a million dollars is um, philosophically, I think, uh, you know, the people in the wealthiest fifth of the country have benefited the most um, from our collective infrastructure. And one million dollars is pretty much the cutoff point for being in the wealthiest fifth of New Zealand. Um, and also just practically, I think what sank the capital gains tax was the perception of middle New Zealand uh, that they would be hit hard by it. So any tax you propose, it has to be very clear that it will only affect um, uh, uh, the, the upper end of the wealth distribution. Um, as to the technical points, um, look, I would include all forms of wealth, essentially, over that threshold. Um, I, you know, I mean, I'm not convinced by the proposals for a land tax, for instance, because I don't think it makes sense to only tax one kind of wealth. Um, I think you would, you know, you have some, some exemptions so that people don't have to value absolutely everything they own every single year. They don't have to value all the rats and mice things that are worth $500 or whatever. Um, you have some, you know, so some things to ensure that compliance isn't too onerous. But I think you need to take a broad view of the wealth that people hold, all of which they've ultimately generated in part because of these taxpayer funded services, you know, and they need to pay tax on that, I think, you know, to recognize that benefit that they've derived. Because that was, you mentioned there that sort of wealth in itself doesn't necessarily produce income. Um, there are indirect benefits. Um, and that was, and your know, stability was one of the things you mentioned, but also people use houses for financing businesses into that. And, um, I, I, was, I saw there was a report from the uh, Dutch National Reserve, the equivalent of the Reserve Bank in the Netherlands, 
which is looked as this will come to the conclusion that mortgage finance is actually driving inequality. Uh, and it actually picked out New Zealand as one of the uh, where the GDP um, was above 73% or debt to, ratio, debt to GDP ratio was above 73%. Um, inequality really was quite negative. Um, but that tie in with your observations of what we've seen in here, because you've looked at this whole issue for some time. Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, and in terms of sort of things like housing unaffordability and the house price bubble and that sort of massive increase of wealth at one end, you know, people are focused a lot on the role of housing supply, and that's absolutely understandable. We obviously have huge problems with housing supply in New Zealand. But there hasn't been enough attention to the fact that, of course, one of the things that drives up the price of houses is you know, if there's a whole lot more money, you know, that's chasing that number of houses. And so I think mortgage lending absolutely has has played a part in that. I guess my only caveat, and bringing us back to the wider issues around wealth, is that, you know, there's a, a lot of the talk around the capital gains tax and generally in this field, you know, focuses on this, on, on the issues around housing and unaffordable housing and the need to change the incentives there. But, you know, that's not really, it's certainly not the only issue in wealth inequality. And in fact, you know, property, although it's the biggest asset class, is still probably only 35, 40% of household wealth. And it's relatively evenly distributed. You know, there's housing wealth all the way up and down the wealth spectrum, albeit there's more at the upper end, obviously. Conversely, things like ownership of direct ownership in businesses and ownership of shares is really exclusively the preserve of the wealthiest fifth of New Zealanders, and within that, substantially the wealthiest tenth. So I think sort of the focus sometimes on housing and trying to tax housing is a bit mistaken because it's not actually the principal driver of inequality, of wealth inequality in New Zealand. And so I think taxing just property would be a mistake. Do you want to elaborate more? And that's, that's quite, um, um, that would probably come with some comfort to a lot of people because the obvious question would be, is people will be pushed back to proposals. How would you see uh, how, how this could be? What sweeteners do you think could be should be done as encouraging this or simple uh, to in, to introduce a tax in there? We'd, people tend to forget, by the way, um, that the tax working group did suggest a recycling of the revenues from a capital gains tax into various measures but of course that just simply got drowned out about the noise so do you see a need to recycle um some of this extra tax in a different configuration of the tax system um i it wouldn't be a huge priority for me um if i'm honest Right, because the because of the the level's so high uh, at a million dollars net wealth. Um, what one benefit I was just going to say, you this would apply to everyone 
in New Zealand because one of the things about a land tax that I thought is, is its strength is it taxes the physical presence of the land, which means it taxes non-residents. And non-residents can be here and basically not contributing a great deal to the tax system because under various treaties they may not be their income is not taxed here but a land tax could pull them into the net well would you have you any thoughts on that what are your thoughts on that well i mean just i mean i mean firstly coming back on the the, the previous question um i i think when you look at the levels of the health and social problems that new zealand has the problems in the education system i think we just need the government needs more revenue to tackle those issues. Um, you know, we spend, government spends 30% of GDP uh, per year at the moment. Um, a comparable European country would easily be spending 40% of GDP, if not more. And what they get in return for that is better public services and generally lower levels of those health and social problems. Um, I just don't think we can collectively tackle the issues we face with as small a government as we have now. I think that's just the brute reality. So I think the wealth, uh, the income, uh, the revenue that's generated from a wealth tax, you would just need that pure and simple. Um, I don't think you should be making it a, a cost-neutral exercise by cutting income tax to, uh, to compensate. I mean, you could do some, I mean, we are unusual in sort of how thoroughly we tax every cent of income right from the start. You could do, you could have some minor offsets to make life easier for people at the bottom. I wouldn't object to that, but I don't see that as having a huge role. Um, I would emphasize more, if you're trying to convey the benefits of a wealth tax, I would talk more about um, what you would do with the money it raises, um, because there's reasonably good evidence to suggest that you know, that's the kind of thing that makes people more sympathetic to taxes is, is talking about the uses of them. So I'd talk about things like, you know, setting up a kid's KiwiSaver account for every poor child, for instance. Um, you know, or those free, uh, free doctor's visits for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and you, because you look at the National Health Service in the UK, I used it for many years when I lived there. On international surveys, it routinely rates as one of the best health uh, systems in the world and because it's free at the point of charge it's very efficient people get their problems dealt with up front you've got very good joined up care so yeah absolutely um that's the kind of thing you could do that you could do with a wealth tax i mean there are you know in, in to pick up your other question you know every every tax has its strengths and weaknesses um and i would never pretend that a wealth tax is perfect um, and you're right that a land tax does have the advantage of, um, you know, it's probably better at obviously taxing the property assets um, of non-resident New Zealanders. I, I just think that a land tax has too many other drawbacks. Um, it scores highly on simplicity, but not very highly on other things. So like I said, you know, land is the most egalitarian kind of wealth. It's the kind of wealth that ordinary New Zealanders are most likely to hold. So you'd be choosing to tax that kind of wealth, the kind of wealth that lots of people hold, 
and not tax the wealth that only a very small number of New Zealanders hold, you know, share investments, direct ownership of businesses, those kinds of things. You'd be starting with a much smaller asset base. So to generate high levels of revenue, you'd have to have a very high annual rate, which I think is a problem. Uh, I don't personally think we should discriminate. Why, why tax people who decide to hold their wealth as land and not other people? You know, it's not like, it's not like owning land is a bad thing. I mean, someone has to own the land, you know. Uh, and then lastly, I think you just have a massive, massive political issue uh, around Māori land, um, you know, which I think for reasons of justice, given that Māori had, you know, 98% of their land, uh, you would have to, you know, leave out of a land tax. But doing well, that so was, that was what the tax working group essentially came back on, that the pressure there was, they, I think, in the reading between it, um, that was really why they backed away from it, um, yeah. because of the, 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 the issue of Māori redress and, and those, the fact that they, they have poor quality land and very little, what they have is a fraction of what they held and what they have is also of, in many cases of poorer quality. That was what the report pointed out. Yeah, and I think they were absolutely right on that. If he, so broad, so basically, I mean, another way of looking at this wealth tax is to say that it's consistent with our tax policy settings of broad base low rate. In other words, we broaden the base of which we're taxing at the things that we tax, and that enables a, a, low, a lower rate of taxation. So this, this is perhaps a little technical, but we say, right, we're going to bring in shares. So would you see the wealth tax supplanting the existing tax regimes? So we, for example, dividends from New Zealand companies are taxed, um, and then investments overseas are subject to the foreign investment fund regime. Are you uh, saying that the wealth tax would basically supplant that? So instead of those regimes, there would be an, an all-in wealth tax, or would they be sitting beside each other? It's a bit of a design feature question here, but it's, it, it, I'm just talking, thinking here, is, what, is there going to be a trade-off, which could be something that gets the, makes it more attractive to those who are affected? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, and, you know, as we learned from the tax working group, process around the capital gains tax, these technical design issues certainly matter, um, not least because people can use them to, uh, to, to make hay. Um, I don't have a fixed view on that, and one of the things that I'm doing in the next few months is, you know, starting to look at some of these issues in a bit more detail. So I can only give you my top-of-the-head sort of view. My instinct is that you is that the wealth tax would sit there separately um, so that if you had wealth that was generating an income and you were paying tax on that, you know, so you pay tax on dividends, uh, the annual wealth levy would be in addition to that rather than offsetting it. Um, and I simply think that because, as I said, I think you're taxing a different thing with the wealth tax. You're taxing those benefits, the stability, the security, the opportunity that wealth gets you. And that's separate from taxing the direct benefit in the form of income that is already dealt with through the income tax system. I'm open to the idea that you could, you know, have one as, the, as an offset of the other. You know, obviously the comprehensive capital income tax 
uh, that Top Party talks about is designed to be offset in that way. It sort of integrates in a very beautiful, conceptually elegant, seamless way with the income tax system. I can see the arguments for that. I'm not persuaded of those at the moment because I think they're different things. I also think that, um, you know, just generally the very wealthy in New Zealand are extremely undertaxed. Um, but that's, but I don't have a fixed view on those design issues at the moment. Mm. Just uh, to, to one final question. Um, we've talked about wealth tax, and I think what you're saying is the advantage of the wealth tax, an annual tax, is for the government. It's got a recurring revenue, which is important when you've got all these strains. What... Um, that would be one of the disadvantages of a capital gains tax, was one of the disadvantages of a capital gains tax, is that income could be very lumpy. I know for a fact that in California and New York State, when the global financial crisis happened, the state tax revenue slumped dramatically because they were no longer, there weren't capital gains to be taxed. So they, they immediately hit a budget crisis. What about you know, an inheritance tax? What's your thoughts on that? They are, they are around all around. Even America has still got the estate tax. Britain has an inheritance tax. Um, and Japan has quite a lot of jurisdictions. Germany, France, they all have inheritance tax or estate taxes or death duties. Um, what's your thoughts on that as a, perhaps an alternative um, or to a wealth, an annual wealth tax? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And you're right. I mean, well, a capital gains tax would have had a number of problems, as you say, so it wouldn't really be counter-cyclical. Um, and also it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't have really, because it would only have taxed future capital gains, it wouldn't have addressed those huge, effectively unearned gains in the housing market of the last two decades, which, you know, is a legitimate source of concern, even though I've sort of tried to downplay that earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... I think inheritance taxes have a lot going for them because inheritances are obviously unearned um, and it's unjust that some people get inheritances when they haven't worked for them and other, people's don't, other people don't. Um, I'm quite attracted to the lifetime gifts tax that the late Sir Anthony Atkinson proposed um, where he basically said, don't tax the person who's giving the money because it doesn't really make any sense. That's not the problem, in quotes. Uh, tax the person who's receiving uh, the gifts or the inheritances and tax them over their lifetime so that, again, you have a threshold. You can receive up to $100,000, say, over your lifetime in inheritances without paying tax. But over that threshold, you pay tax at whatever rate on all the other gifts and inheritances you receive during your lifetime. And I quite like that because it balances the desire to give some, you know, transfer money between within families, um, small amounts without being taxed. But it's, but it also so it balances the demands of liberty on the one hand and family, but it also through taxing, you know, the people who are lucky and compensating those who are unlucky enough not to get inheritances. It also satisfies the demands of equality. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, um, you know, if people put that forward, I would certainly think that it's something worth looking at. I'm just, you know, mostly talking about a wealth tax at the moment because I think it's also an interesting option. 
But look, there are, there are always plenty of options and there are advantages that inheritance tax has specifically. So I think it should definitely be in the mix. That Sir Anthony Atkinson proposal has also a redistributional effect to it. Because if, say, you've got a lifetime allowance of $200,000 or $100,000, whatever, it encourages the giver to spread it around, which is not the worst thing in the world if we're talking about addressing inequality. No, absolutely. Um, and more generally, we know from the UK where they've got really good data that, unsurprisingly, in, uh, inheritances are very unevenly distributed. You know, it's very much the already fortunate who get them. Um, and yeah, a nice side effect would be encouraging the wide distribution um, of inheritances. Absolutely. Interestingly, on inheritance tax is in the UK is that I know that the uh, tax taken inheritance tax over the last eight years, I think it is, has doubled. So as the baby boomers are dying off um, and distributing the wealth, the government is now starting to collect our tax on that. It's still a relatively insignificant part of the pile, but it's, it's now five billion pounds a year and rising faster uh, than pretty much it's it, it the growth in inheritance tax outstrips that of income tax and uh, VAT or value, value added tax slash GST so there's it, they, they can work um, they're often said to be inefficient well I think uh, we might leave it there Max we we could talk all day about this and I think I hope we can pick up this conversation at a later date thank you so much for joining us today I uh, really appreciate your input and I look forward to resuming our discussions in person next time I'm in Wellington. Thank you. Thanks very much, Terry. That's it for the Week in Tax. I'm Terry Boucher and you can find this podcast on my we uh, website, www.boucher.tax or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send me your feedback and tell your friends and clients. Until next time, have a great week. Ka kite anō.